0: It is time, like I say every episode, to stop reading other people's success stories and really start writing your own. I always think about your passion. I always talk about your gifts. and I always tell people, if you have gifts or passions, then leave with your gifts. And don't let your age, friends, family, or coworkers stop you from planning or living your dreams. Interviews I do on this show are really for you, whether you're a consumer or a business owner. I invite celebrities, CEOs. Entrepreneurs and what I, think, what I like to call industry decision makers, onto my show to discuss ways of how to make money, discussing what you're doing with your money, and how people are using their secrets and sharing them with you so you also can be successful. My next guest is Dr. Catherine L. Davis, she is an associate professor of sociology and African American studies at Florida State University is a social change scholar, inspired by the struggles of working-class people in the urban areas who contend with extraordinary socioeconomic constraints, despite their best efforts. Basically trying to get out of the hood and nobody's trying to help. Through her teaching and scholarship, Davis explores how racial, gender, and class biases, as well as institutional constraints, shape black neighborhoods, their resources, and how social groups navigate through these existing hurdles. Which leads us to Dr. Davis's latest book, Tainted, tainted Tap, Flint's Journey from Crisis to Recovery. Again, taint, taint, Tainted Tap, Flint's Journey from Crisis to Recovery, focused on the origin and health consequences of the water crisis in Flint, Michigan, by the way, where she was born. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation, Dr. Katrinelle Davis. How are you doing, Doctor?
1: I am doing great. Thanks for having me.
0: Other than getting tongue-tied on the title of your book, Tainted Tap, Flint's Journey from Crisis to Recovery. Now, when I see that, has there been a recovery?
1: Well, they're in the process of recovery, but Flint has not recovered from the water crisis. And the water crisis, as we can say, is one giant cover-up. Can I say that publicly? I love that. Let's okay. talk about that cover-up. Absolutely. Okay, cool. Let's let's call it a cover-up because that's what it is. Absolutely. And so, and because a lot of people
0: knew it before the people who were drinking the water. Like in 2014, when I think General Motors stopped accepting water, okay, from Flint. So, and then the, the local city hall started getting water delivered to them. And it wasn't mm-hmm. until January 2015 where in your book that it was acknowledged that there's a problem with the water and the public was being notified about it. Talk about. Let's start there. When, when the, I have to say it's a cover up. When the when the business world is aware because they cover in their bases so they won't get sued. Okay, that's why that's they probably- stop accepting water. But the general public and then and then when they stop accepting it, they didn't tell their employees where the water was coming from. So that's when you start using the word cover up. And, mm-hmm. and I use it in a professional manner because I don't know the words you can use. If you if you know some information that I need to know that's going to affect my mm-hmm. life, but you refused or failed to tell me that's a cover so you were born in Flint you're a person who's seen this neighborhood transition you talk about how all the all the um because in 2017 it was recognized that Flint Michigan was the poorest city in the United States that's correct your story correct. in the book basically starts in 2015 correct
1: well, the story, the main story about the crisis mm-hmm. starts in um, 2015, but the story about what's happened to Flint mm-hmm. actually began in the 1960s. Absolutely. Because I think it's important for us to understand that this whole the struggle that, that Flint faced uh, during this crisis um, is a struggle that has a lot to do with this history of uneven development. Right. This whole idea of we're going to Pour money into the downtown areas, but the, let the the north side of the of the city struggle and suffer from decay, um, uh, no maintenance, etc. And so, yeah, this cover up uh, or the 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 part of the cover up that we're very familiar with starts somewhere in 2015, but I would say it starts a bit earlier than that. Because what's, what the public didn't know about the crisis is that the state of Michigan had it effectively uh, disinvested from its water protection protocols uh, somewhere around 2006, 2007. So even if it was in—even if the EPA right. and the state was doing what it was supposed to do um, around 2015 uh, or in, in were position to do— to respond to residents' concerns. Um, Mm -hmm. We would have seen a better response had they been positioned to do the things that they were supposed to do. Had they been agencies working like they're supposed to work? But they weren't. And so we're talking about a cover-up and we're also talking about years of benign neglect. Dr.
0: Katrina Davis, you know, when you, we say 2015, we say it happened earlier. I'm going to show you an example of recently that how how the state, can change the rules on you. Don't tell you they've changed the rules, but it in, fa- it in fact impacts low-income people the worst. The That's state of right. Texas just recently when they had the big freeze because they had changed the way the billing system went down and changed the way the grid was being allocated. And so the state of Texas was shut down during the freeze. And so that would no one would never have known that if the freeze didn't come along. And so people were being billed differently People were suddenly getting $2,000 bills when they were previously getting the normal maybe $100 bill. The bills were tied to their bank accounts, so the money was automatically being pulled out of their bank account, whether they had the money or not. And so these are situations where you are saying, like you say, in the social makeup of the world, their decisions being made, they're not— they're not acknowledged that they're major decisions. They're not acknowledge that they're big decisions. But in the end, the person who gets affected the most is the person who has less. And that's what
1: your book is about. Absolutely. I think so, so often we pay attention to the absence of overt racism. Yes. Uh, we say no one's burning crosses. Um, no one called me out of my name. No one pulled me off of a counter, you know at a at a or lunch counter because right. I it's I'm not supposed to be there, right? But what we don't pay attention to is the dis the, the disses and the, the, the disrespect that poor people mm-hmm. encounter on the daily because there are things in, in their environment that just aren't right. They're being shorted um, when it, with regard to educational services, they're being shorted with regard to environmental protections being shorted with regard to police protection, fire protection, um, left and right. And right. this is, again, we don't pay attention to these things because we spent so much time talking about whether or not we're dealing with overt racism, whether or not somebody's playing us. Right. 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 But what we need to be paying attention to is what institutions are doing. Well, you know, here's let's let's slow down. My, my relationship with you
0: in regards to sociology. Uh, My degree is in mathematics, Dr. Davis. You're an associate professor of sociology and African-American studies at Florida State University in Tallahassee, Florida. Mm -hmm. Um, I was rolling through college, doing good. And then I took a sociology class and I realized that I was being uneducated. I was not being educated properly about this country's history, especially when it came to African-Americans or what my people had accomplished or why our racism in general or how it was being treated. Basically, I would tell people, when you look at the life of a, of a a black people in history books that they teach you, you know, they brought us over through slavery, they freed us. And then they, then they don't say anything about the world war one participation, world war two participation. Then you go to Brown versus board of education. Then you hear about the Martin Luther King speech. You kind of talk about the civil rights speech. Then you hear about Martin Luther King's assassination and it kind of stops because it's the Civil War, Civil I mean, Vietnam War and the Nixon years. So black people kind of like stop producing after Martin Luther King, Dr. Martin Luther King died. That is what, if anybody disbelieves what I'm talking about, just read your books. That's how it's being played to us. Oh, you get the, back in the day, I get the maps from the beer companies talking about the kings and queens and they'll tell me that, you know, the cotton gin was built by a black person, but it wasn't in any book that I read in high school or elementary school or middle school. It was in something that I bought that had a beer can on it or, beer or was sponsored by a beer company. And I'm not saying that's negative, but that's how I was being educated, okay? And so, so sociology is key for me because it talks about how people engage and how people treat you in that engagement. So tell us about the impact of what you do as a sociology professor at Florida State and African American studies, because I want to get to the critical race theory, which has been bombarding the headlines, and maybe you can help my
1: audience digest or understand that a lot better. Well, as a sociologist, I care most about explaining the concrete circumstances that people encounter that make it difficult to make ends meet and do the mm-hmm. things that they need to that that they need to do to take care of their families. Right. Um, oftentimes, we ignore those things about our re- realities that make things difficult, um, that are um, boundaries or barriers that that seem to be um, hard to to remove, etc. And and I also want to say, in our society, we have a tough time um, believing that um, it's okay for. Uh, a problem to last longer than 30 minutes, right? And so if it's not solved in 30 minutes, we're almost in a space where we're gonna move on even if it's not solved. And so I think part of the problem that we're dealing with is one, this whole issue of having a very short attention span right? Um, with regard to understanding and even trying to um, deal with process social problems and then we we also have a problem where we don't as a society we're not willing or I don't believe that we've uh, uh, developed the stomach or in or the political will to really deal with um, um, long-standing uh, racial class um, antagonisms and issues And so what we do, we set up curricula where we go around these issues. Yeah, we say um, the problems start stop after we discover that Martin Luther King had a dream um, and we got on board with his dream. And and now look at those black folks, you know, doors <laughs> are open. And it's all good. But mm-hmm. the problem is that it's not all good for most black folks. Most most black folks are near poor. Which mm-hmm. means that they're struggling on levels that, that are invisible in places that we don't even see because our worlds are so wrapped around what we do and not what other people are really dealing with. So, fields like sociology help us understand, um, you know, and it's sometimes academicians, you know, really help us understand what um, uh, what society's narrative has to say about us and it's not always very critical of that narrative. Um, but in my work, I try to center the problems of the individual and in particular black people, poor black people to sort of help us understand that both historically, uh, economically, socially, how these problems, how we got these problems, why we still have these problems and what we need to do to deal with these problems. And again, I think the pushback um, it's particularly this pushback with regard to critical race theories about silencing, you know, what what we know, because I think we know too much and they want to shut us up.
0: Well, I think that if it's all tied to information, right? The more you know, the more dangerous you can become.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: so when you when you look at because that's what I discovered. I discovered in my sociology class at the University of Houston that I didn't know enough. And it brought me to tears because of the fact that I thought I was smart. I thought I knew what I needed to know when I realized that I was, I was being denied an opportunity to get a full spectrum of education and information. And so when I hear people, whether it's the Trump administration, trying to uh, favor the Confederate statues and say they have a place in our society but don't want to recognize that racism truly exists, I don't know how you can balance the two. I don't know how you can recognize Confederate uh, monuments as saying these are heroes, but you can't recognize the fact that racism is very prevalent, and as you say, it's not always overt. But you still have redlining of districts, you still have rezoning, you have you have people going around. Right now, they are still auditing President Biden. Okay, that's racism. Let's go mm-hmm. be real because it's tied to black voters. It's black to people who believe there's a need for change. And so when you look at what you're doing and you look at the critical race theory that's being bantered about, what is the problem? Is it information or is it is it a is it something that was done in 1979, trying to be implemented in
1: 2021? It's I've I've looked at some of these people that, that have commented on c- critical race theory particularly those people who have been against uh, this particular theory being taught um, at the post-secondary level primarily because that's where it's taught. Right. Essentially, my my take on their argument is that um, this happened a long time ago. Right. And why should we talk about, you know, information that may or may not be true? It's really interesting Um, the the argument is that it happened a long time ago. Then the, the the corollary to that is that this information may not be true, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and then it's how how come we can't get along? Why can't we get along, right? <laughs> right. Um, I'm an Italian American, right? right. Um, and mind you, this person doesn't want to own that he has white skin, you right. know, mm-hmm. and that skin mm-hmm. speaks for him, right? You know, uh, uh, but I'm an Italian American. Why should we have to? you know, learn about this history. Uh, And it's 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 part of the American program that we have and that program is all about denial. Absolutely. You know, we deny what's true. We deny what's real in the lives of people who are dealing with tough stuff. Okay, and then we turn around and we blame them for what they're experiencing as though they created those issues. But I would submit Mm -hmm. that the real problem is that we've never gotten around to dealing with the fact that when black folks stop giving their labor to white folks mm-hmm. after slavery, mm-hmm. never quite stopped being the white man's burden. Right. You know and when, all for the wrong reason. Absolutely. When I when I hear you talk,
0: is you know, I smile and I you know, it's a you, you go, girl. You do what you got to do. I need you to be a professor, somebody talking to people in general, <laughs> so they have somebody they can come up and talk to that has an honest conversation that necessarily yes, no. isn't their color. Because that's where you get honest conversation when somebody who's not your color comes up to you in communication. Because so what happens within our community? Sometimes we don't even want to talk about slavery. We want to say We want to why? Why? Why we got to talk about that? You know, we we're moving forward. There's a section of us that want to talk like that at all. Maybe you may say that we are maybe in an affluent or maybe are, are, are doing well or at a certain tax bracket. But I've always been a person that no matter how successful I've been, Dr. Davis, I always felt that if I can't help more people get where I'm trying to get or where I'm trying to go, then I'm not winning for the overall picture. Isn't That's that right. what we're trying to do? Isn't that what your book, the information we're getting out of your book is that it's about a group of people. And this happens to be a city. Not not a community, a city, where it's the true. where where the work factories moved, drugs came in. You know Burton, which was right a, less than a mile away, and their billing system was different than Flint, Michigan's billing system. Yep. And nobody. And then if 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 the snow was on their street, it got plowed first. Snow was on your street. Uh, we we get with you. The trees were dying over there. <laughs> And Flint over in Burton, hey, the tree just can just, a leaf can fall off the tree. Oh, excuse me. I got that leaf. Bang. Oh, go about your business. You know, that's what you're talking about in your book. You you, you clearly made me go, you made me mad, Dr. Davis. You made me mad.
1: I wanted to make you mad.
0: You made me mad, girl.
1: Mm.
0: Because you were telling the truth. Why don't people want to hear the truth?
1: Come on. The truth is uncomfortable. Sometimes when certain people hear it, they think that, you know, I'm listening to this truth. And that means that something that I have may be taken away. Right. My Mm -hmm. privilege, my the benefits that I that I um, enjoy, I may need to share. You know, oh, they got to. Put money on this. That money may be taken from some things that my children might or my child might need. Well, you know, right? and, and I want to tell you, it's something that was brought up in, in this podcast that I've, I've done related to the book. Uh-huh. Uh, one of my guests shared with me, and, and, and this is a very, very important um, um, statement that he made. And and this is when I was pushing him to why aren't cities doing what they need to do to take care of everybody? Why are they playing poor people? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and and he was talking about, well, we haven't gotten around to dealing with legacy costs, how to help cities deal with costs that they can't deal with mm-hmm. because they, they have poor people, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and and so, I, again, I was pushing him. Why is this the issue? Why hasn't the state and the powers that be mm-hmm. come up with better models? And he said, essentially, we don't have a problem handing a person a food stamp but we have a problem giving people access to jobs via programs like affirmative action
0: mm-hmm. because you know why because when you hand somebody a food stamp you can label them as a person that's that's um irrelevant and then that same person you can start taking away rights okay now you give somebody an opportunity through affirmative action then they can be on a level playing field that's right. Economically, socially, they can move into their neighborhoods. They can bank where their bank. They can do the things that they do. They can eat in the restaurants they eat in. And so <laughs> I, I know, because I came from the hood. I came from Fifth Ward. I came from a, a neighborhood where my parents had to get us out, and we moved to a, little, a, a neighborhood a little bit better, but it wasn't that neighborhood. Okay, And so Mm -hmm. when I see about you in your book is right, you talk about when you talk about what what it was changing the communities and and sweeping through. and Now they call it gentrification. They put a fancy name on it now. But it's the same thing. They they gave us a nice title. It gets the same thing. You know, moving black people to lesser communities, less property values. And then go, what's the problem? Now, you say, Rashawn, doesn't that sound familiar? Doesn't that sound like the American Indian? Don't you not realize that? That, that ghettos are just fancified reservations. Just fancified reservations. Now, That's what they are. There are some people, I know for a fact, that live in these communities who never leave, who have never driven out, who never shopped or eating out of that community. They are trapped into that world. If they're trapped into that world, guess what? You're trapped too. And then so when you come into that world, you're seen as a stranger, which impacts them, and they're going to treat you different, which may lead to negative consequences. When I started reading that part of your book, it just really made me even more mad, Dr. Davis. You you, really—you're the first book I've ever had on the show just had me positively mad. This is not (laughs) a a mad mad, because I can't win because of my skin tone, according to America.
1: Well— I'm sorry that I made you mad, (laughs) but it's, it's, it's really my job to tell the truth Mm -hmm. and to say it in a way where people can understand it, where there's teeth and you understand that this is not a game. Right. Right. They have been playing with our lives. Yes. But for some reason we don't want to call it, um, genocide. Right. We, we, we stop at that. We, we say, well, it's, you know, um, uh, we're doing what we can and and we're not killing people at will and, and things of this nature. But I, I will submit this. If you poison people over time with with um, materials or, or toxins that could, I don't know, um, make them less smart, make them more prone to violence and anger. Right. Make them. Um, less likely to be able to self-govern. What you're doing is is basically doubling down. You have this theory of who we are, but then you, you poison our communities and help that happen. Absolutely. Right? And so the thing is, uh, yeah, I'm absolutely sorry that I have to let folks know that problems don't get solved. I got to let folks know that um, they're playing poor black people left and right, leaving them out of resources or keeping them from resources that they actually need to make ends meet, and to um, take good care of themselves. Um, I have to let you know, because it's my obligation, because I don't need us, us as a people, walking around thinking that we got it made. We got some
0: work to do. You know, in your book, uh, Tainted Tap, Flint's Journey from Crisis to Recover, in Chapter 6, which is the uh, the blame game, a legal circus and public finger pointing, this is basically, because what I try to do when I bring individual on my show talking about their books I not try to I, I don't try to my job is not to give away the book my job is to gain interest so somebody will want to read your book and okay, what you great. just talked about is basically what the blame gain is you know you know It's it's good to say that you know that there's a problem in the minority communities, because we go black and brown right now, because I'm African American, that's why we're talking about African American, but the Hispanic community having the same issues. And 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 the American Indian community is a lost community. Okay? It's a lost community. Mm -hmm. And so and so when we talk about through sociology, which guides us through this whole situation here, what is the blame game and who is running the blame game?
1: Well, I would say the the blame game is is essentially this. It's we know that a problem exists. However, we're going to let you believe that you created that problem, (laughs) or we're going to let you believe that the problem doesn't exist. So that's the first round. Mm -hmm. So then after you, you effectively prove that you didn't create the problem, then we have to work at trying to distance ourselves from that blame because we don't want to take that heat. We don't want to be in the seat of, or in the be placed in the process of actually trying, having to fix the the institutional problems, yes, and and replace those strategies and policies that enable us to do the stuff we do.
0: Well, you know, here's right. something interesting, because I'm gonna close, Doctor. Go ahead, Doctor Davis, and it's all positive. I, I, you know, uh, when I say I'm mad, it's a good man, because I've I've been filled with information. The information I got from your book. Tainty tap Flint's journey from crisis to recovery in 2017 Flint Michigan was the poorest city in America. who wants that title okay who wants to know that right down the street less than a mile somebody's paying less and guess what they they, they as they say they look like you they're just a different color
1: mm-hmm. but
0: more importantly when you look at all this critical race theory you look at all these arguments about we don't want to let anybody know that the Americans has done nothing wrong. How, and maybe you might not can't answer this, how did Juneteenth get recognized as a national holiday? How did that slip past when that was the Mm -hmm. ultimate level of recognition that black people were enslaved and black people were released due to slavery because they were brought over to this country against their will? But somehow I got passed unanimously while a bunch of people were arguing about the critical race theory. Does that make sense to you? I'm glad it got passed because I'm Houston, Texas, and it's always been a holiday in the state of Texas, but it was never a recognized national holiday. So when everybody started getting on board in 2020, I kind of smiled and I'm happy that in 2021 it was recognized. But how does Juneteenth get passed with all this denial going on
1: in the public's eye about racism and slavery? <laughs> I love that you asked that question, so I'll, I'll be brief. Um, because we can write a dissertation on this, <laughs> but I would I would say that um, you know well, essentially what we're looking at is a political maneuver. Um, we're we're sort of addicted to and attracted to symbolic gestures, and this is one of them. Mm-hmm. So I, because I can tell you this, if we can set up a a holiday, um, great. I'm I'm all for it. In Flint, Michigan, we've been celebrating tenth June Juneteenth for you know a long time. Mm -hmm. Uh, That said, um, if you really want to make progress in the black community, you will pass laws that make um, folks accountable for the things that they do to the people that they're supposed to be um, accountable to. You want to pass laws that make things uh, a bit more transparent, right? Give people a seat at the table. Uh, You want to make sure that people aren't being played the extent to which they are being played in their communities. Um, you know, you, you're drinking water that is not safe and, you know, you, they'll take your house away if you don't pay for that, for poison water. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're in a space where we love um, symbolic empty gestures, um, but we're not, we, del- we haven't um, summoned the political will to do what's required to move things forward.
0: Dr. Katrin L. Davis, thank you for coming on my show. You're the Associate Professor of Sociology and African American Stories at, you know, they say the Seminole State, Florida State University, down in Tallahassee, Florida. Your book, Tainted Tap, Flint's Journey from Crisis to Recovery, is a wonderful read. It's an informative read. It's an educational read. It's a read that will tap into your emotions, give you information that you may not have known or reminded you of an experience or a lifestyle that you once experienced. So you can understand the complications that people are dealing with now because guess what? They've taken away all of our options or so many of our options within the black community that we have to fight back. We have to scream. We have to some way rob because guess what? Like you said, if you get, what, what's your option? Once you, once you corner somebody, you're taking away all their food, taking away all their options to survive. The only option is to be violent and we could start curb a lot of this violence if we treated everybody equal and gave them an equal opportunity to win. Again, Dr. Davis, thank you for coming on Money Making Conversations.
1: Thank you so much for
0: having me. Appreciate it was a pleasure. Oh, thank you. If you want to hear any more of my interviews or all of my interviews or see them uh, through my videos on MoneyMakingConversations.com is where I keep
1: all of them. My name is Rashawn McDonald. I am your host.